Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Lion. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History final. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle bunch. Oh yeah, so easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you in to Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. It is March, and that means one thing. College basketball takes center stage in the sports world. If it hasn't consumed your life the way it has ours the last couple of months here on Full Slate, then it's never too late to hop on for the ride and hopefully cash some tickets with us. My name is Greg Frank. Find me and all of my picks at Undercover Greg on Gambling Twitter, joined by my partner in crime when it comes to the college hardwood. You know him as Lucha Larry on Gambling Twitter, at Larry's Locks 2 for all of his picks, and subscribe to his service. Bill, always good to have you aboard again. I know it was a, a rough podcast for us over the weekend, so uh, we got to get back in the win column here. Yeah, it was it was nasty on, uh, I think, pretty much all fronts on our last yeah. podcast. But hey, you know, it, it comes with the territory. There's going to be down days, down weeks. Down months. I just had my first losing month in, this is four months, and it's it's part of it, you know? Nobody's, I'll tell you, man. Nobody's that good. That just to go off a little bit on a little bit of a side rant, you mentioned it, February being over. I don't know how you feel. I think I probably have mentioned this to you before, but I just can't stand the month of February, dude. I mean, I, especially now living out in Minnesota, but even back east when I grew up in Jersey, 
you're just sick of the winter by then, and there's not much in sports after the Super Bowl. I mean, we're big college hoops guys, but even us, we're still just waiting to get to March. It's just a, I'm happy it's over. It sucks. No, I agree, and I think you're right. Like it's it's that like looking forward to the conference tournament. Yeah, and then like, and I'm a baseball guy, but like, oh yeah, the manufactured excitement over all oh, pitchers and catchers. You know? like, <laughs> yeah. Give me a break. Yeah, a bunch of spring training games don't mean anything at all. Like, yeah, there's nothing exciting and, and about normal that. Normal season, you'd have like the NBA All Star break in February, so like that season stops for a week. Right. It's just a brutal sports month, and given how much I let sports control my life, I hate and I don't like. And it's dog days of the winter where mm-hmm. you know at least in the early parts of the winter you got the holiday season, and in January we got the NFL playoffs, and then after the Super Bowl, it's just. I'm ready for spring, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I, it's, it's funny how it's gave us six weeks of uh, early spring, excuse me, every year, but he doesn't. It's funny though, like you know, we were saying February is possibly the worst month of the year. I would argue that March is the best month of the year for most of the things you're saying. Like we have spring right around the corner, college basketball tournaments are starting. You have hockey in full swing, baseball starting up, NBA's on the second half of their season, like. It's it to me. There's no better month in the year than March, especially when it comes to sports. So yeah, you do have a lot going on. That's true. So it definitely heats up pretty quickly, and hopefully that's the case for us here on the pod. Because gosh, it was a it was a rough one. And and, and Bill, I don't know about you. I mean, you know, I'm looking back at you know some of those plays, and you know, it, it, it just felt like I was on a lot of wrong sides. I mean, we were both on Wisconsin, and you know, they they really couldn't figure it out. By the time Trice got hot there at the end, it was too late. And I was on Indiana, and, and you were kind of right about Michigan kind of getting out there. And ultimately, it yeah. was just too many points for Indiana to get through the back door. I mean, I was furious over the crossfire loss because <laughs> LSU has a five-point lead yeah. at half, getting five, and they just completely self-destruct in the second half. Um, I, I, I am annoyed for not, and it's easy to say this now, for not maxing my only winner on South Carolina because that really, I felt that was a pretty flat spot for Georgia off that big LSU win, and that's kind of what happened there. But, but isn't, it, isn't it hard? Don't you feel like it's hard to max bad teams, even if it's a great it, spot? It is, right, and that's, it, that's the thing. I mean, what are they, six wins now, South Carolina, yeah. something like that, so... Yeah, it was just it was just brutal. I mean, uh, Oklahoma it looks like they you know they they're up. I think I think we were both on them, or you were leaning that way, and they're up eight yeah. nine at half, and then they let it you know slip away and goes to overtime, and and they lose. Just, just a lot of bad second halves that did me in Texas. It, they went what they go like five minutes without a field goal in the second yeah. half, something like. Yeah, it, was it was just a really frustrating day where. Uh, you know, I, I suppose on one hand it's better to lose that way than, you know, to have a bad beep. But I don't know when you have the the pile up of just annoyances and bad second halves and wrong sides just accumulate over two hours real time. It got pretty annoying pretty fast. Yeah, it gets frustrating. Then you start to doubt yourself and and you know and the process that you use to right. to handicap your games. It's it is. It's tough. The only thing that I can say, the best thing, at least for me, is I just I just get away from it because I know I'll wallow in it and bring out the booze. <laughs> no, 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 no booze. 
no booze, but like you know, I'm I I, I got young families, so like just sure. spend more time with the kids, let yep. them distract me from from this and stuff. But um, hey, again, we're on a new day, a new month, the best month of the year, and when it comes to college basketball, there is no better month for sure. So we got a great lineup for everybody starting tomorrow night. We got a decent slate here for Tuesday, and. Uh, you're going to kick us off here, correct? Yes, I am. Uh, I'm going to start in the Big 12, where it's a, a late afternoon, early evening tip-off in Morgantown, where I'm looking at the road chalk, the Baylor Bears making the trip to West Virginia to take on the Mountaineers. Uh, we're seeing Baylor laying four and the hook, a total of 149 here. And i I, I got to be on Baylor here. Um, this is actually going to be my best bet. This is going to be a max play for me. Um, really a simple handicap. I'm just trusting them at this point to bounce back, not expecting them to play two pretty bad games. I know that you were on them against Kansas. And, and the thing that really stood out to me, I, and I was, I, I was drinking on Saturday night, ironically, though, it was not like a frustration to start boozing, just <laughs> decided to hit one of the local bars out here. And, um, you know, the game was on in the background, and I'm kind of checking in, and Baylor was never really able to create any separation. Kansas was really in the game the whole way and obviously ended up winning it. And the big reason for that was Baylor shooting just 6 for 26 from the three-point line. And, Bill, the you know, your handicap was all centered around the big advantage that Baylor had in the backcourt in that game, and that obviously went away pretty fast when they couldn't hit any outside shots. But I think, obviously, in college basketball, and this is why, particularly in the tournament, things can get so much fun and there can be so much variance is because teams can, especially these mid-majors, I feel like, you know, the double-digit seeds that you haven't watched all year but might have a couple knockdown shooters get unconscious and completely change the game and, and perhaps steal it. And so what I'm getting at is outside shooting can obviously obviously be something that can come and go pretty quickly. Um, it's normally the type of thing where one night you have it, another night you don't. Baylor's threes weren't dropping against Kansas. But for the season, and this is what I trust, you know, obviously full season stat here, shooting close to 40% from the three-point line. So I am expecting Baylor to, to have some positive regression from behind the arc. Uh, and then also, uh, even if they aren't, they have the highest offensive rebounding rate in the Big 12. So I would think that um, they're going to be able to uh, make some more shots and still hit the offensive glass well. I know we talk about second-chance points and things like that a lot on this podcast. So I would think they have that going for them as well. And then it really is, you know, the more you look into this West Virginia team, and even if you just look at their scores, like, it's a little bit of a different team just stylistically. Like, they shoot a lot of threes, and uh, they play a lot of high-scoring games. Normally you think of West Virginia as – in-your-face defense, press Virginia, turn you over, points in the paint, you know, the big guys. And it hasn't been that kind of a team. They are actually the worst two-point shooting percentage team in the Big 12. So when I consider that Baylor is, I expect to get better from beyond the arc this game, and I expect Baylor to, uh, you know, I mentioned have an edge on the offensive glass. I mean, and, and so if they're going to be the better team in the paint, and they're going to be the better team from the three-point line, and I only have to get four and a half, and they're coming off a loss, a lot's lining up for me. I'm going to max the Baylor Bears. Sick them. Minus four and a half. Yeah, I'm not – I've been back and forth in this game a lot. 
today when I was going through uh, the slate here, and it's just it something doesn't seem right with Baylor. And the one thing that I did read, you know, their their COVID hiatus was really more so an outbreak within the team as opposed to you know one guy having it on the staff or something like that. And it just doesn't seem like they're you know the Baylor that we saw before that. Now, you know, tomorrow night they they might have it all back and all of a sudden, you know, blow West Virginia out and be the Baylor team that we'd seen for the majority of the year. I just I just don't think I'm comfortable yet backing them until I see them come back. And look, maybe it's because I have a bad taste in my mouth for riding them against Kansas. And like you said, my handicap was mostly about the backcourt, but the front court was the story. I mean, they got out-rebounded by 20 boards, you know, and it's it's hard to beat any team when you're when you give up that many rebounds, fourteen of them coming offensively. Yeah, you know, they did a good job defensively. They forced fourteen turnovers. They only committed three of their own. Um so the story really was was hitting that glass. And like you said, they should have the advantage here against West Virginia on the glass. So, you know, it would lead you to that side. I think the other thing that kinda of worries me a bit too is West Virginia kinda of seems to get up for these ranked opponents. They're six sure. and three. Yeah, definitely six and three that. against the spread um, against the ranked opponents, uh, but again, if if Baylor can get right, I mean, there's. I think this is something we say a lot. The first the first couple minutes of this game, I think, is going to be very telling. I think if yeah. you see Baylor come out and yeah, score I, a nice little Baylor run at the, at the first media timeout, up like twelve two. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I don't think it's going to be a case like Kansas where they were, you know, just kind of letting them hang around, let them hang around, let them hang around. And I don't think you're going to see that if they're up. Uh, in this one, I think they're just going to put it on them. So, so I, you think this is either a pretty easy Baylor cover or a West Virginia yeah. outright win? Yeah, I, again, I don't, I don't think it's going to. Um, the points are really going to play a factor, and if you're going to play West Virginia, I honestly think it's a better play is is, is take the money line. Um, but for me, it's probably going to be a stay away and enjoy sure. what should be an awesome, awesome game. And I wish you five o'clock Eastern. To yeah, get. yeah, bizarre times. Another thing. A lot of weird stuff going on with this game, so I'll just sit back and root for uh, I'll root for Baylor for you, and you know overall just hope both teams have fun. <laughs> well, uh, one team that is having a lot of fun is Eric Musselman's team in the SEC, and that's the Arkansas Razorbacks, and that's where you're taking us for your first play. Talked a little bit previously about South Carolina being my lone winner on the pod over the weekend, and Arkansas was a winner for you against LSU. Uh, they're laying a touchdown here, given seven points on the road, total of 157. Um, you know, Bill, I, I have to think maybe part of this, uh, I mean, as much as I'm sure this is a primarily pro-Arkansas handicap mm-hmm. and not an anti-South Carolina handicap, I have to think a bad team like South Carolina coming off of a road win, uh, you would think is a team that maybe kind of lays down a little here uh, against Arkansas, right? Yeah, that, that's definitely going to play a factor in it. Um, and look, we I talked about Arkansas. I talked about Musselman right in my handicap list pod and how, you know, if anybody's going to get his team fired up for a revenge spot, it's that lunatic. But he he's going against another absolute lunatic in Frank Martin in this one. So we'll see whose face gets redder faster yeah. in this matchup. But, um yeah, part of it is that South Carolina, I feel like, is going to have a little bit of a letdown after that big win. Uh, kudos to you for calling that one last pod. Um, the other part of it is Arkansas, after a win uh, this season, they're 11-5-1 and 
they're also 5-0 and against the spread their last five games following and against the spread win. Uh, and as away favorites, they're undefeated. Granted, it's only two-game sample size, but they've risen to the occasion both times they've been on the road as a favorite. Um, and South Carolina coming against ranked opponents has not been very good on the season, two and, two and four on the season. They're also one and four their last five versus teams with winning straight-up records. So not only do they struggle against ranked teams, they're also struggling against teams with winning records. So all that leans me towards Arkansas. And when you look at um, some of the efficiency stats, you know, offensive and defensive, it's it's obviously pretty much night and day when you're looking at them. Uh, there's not much there in terms of South Carolina offense. They're 123rd in the country. Conversely, Arkansas is 12th in the country defensively. Um, I'm going to see. I, I really see them shutting South Carolina down, uh, and then not being able to hang with them in the Arkansas. I don't want to say that they're going to blow them out, uh, but I do like them to win by double digits pretty handily here. Uh, Arkansas has been a team that's just they've looked really good late in the season. Again, kudos to Musselman. He gets his guys hyped up for every one of their games. So seven and a half doesn't seem like it's too too much. I think I'd be nervous if it was a little more in a double-digit range here, but seven and a half, I feel pretty comfortable back in the hogs here. Yeah, I'll say, and I'm not going to have a play here. I would probably have the slightest of leans to Arkansas. Um, obviously, you know, you start running through the stats, obviously. I mean, they're a seven-point row favorite. Like, of course, that, you know, a lot of the statistical stuff is going to point you to the hogs. Uh, and so the question that you always have to ask yourself when it comes to these road favorites is, focus and motivation and things like that. And, and you kind of talked about that with Musselman, how you're not expecting that to be an issue. Um, you know, I, so I guess what's keeping me off of it, a couple things. Uh, first, you never know with these bad teams late. I, I think there is, I, I, I talked in the lead into this game about how you would think maybe South Carolina kind of lays down. Okay. We got our road win against Georgia. Now, you know, coming back home against a really good team and get behind early. They probably don't, uh, you know, probably don't fight back. I could see that happening, but there was always kind of a weird team or two around this time of year that's down in their conference that for whatever reason, you know, nothing to lose, house money, things like that, um, and, and starts to find a little something where nobody really saw it. So, you know, you mentioned Frank Martin being on the other sideline. Uh, not saying I expect it, but uh, I, I, it wouldn't shock me if uh, you know they were able to hang around here. And and then again for Arkansas, as much as you talk about Musselman, like it does profile as a little bit of a flat spot here. Obviously, they come back against LSU, the win against Alabama, and obviously coming off that Bama win with Sky. I was kind of feeling LSU in that last game, which is again why I'm not playing this game. I don't have a strong lean to either side, but Arkansas obviously has been in the spotlight now for a couple of weeks in the SEC, and now they're going to South Carolina, you know, again, uh, if Musselman's as good as he's been all season, then it won't be a problem, and, uh, you know, I wish you the best of luck, but I'll probably stay away here um, and root for your play um, like you will with me on Baylor. I'm curious to see, even though uh, I want to go to the ACC next, uh, you don't have a play here, but we've obviously been talking about a certain Durham team quite a bit here, uh, and uh, that's where I'm going uh, in Atlanta, where we have the Duke Blue Devils traveling to the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. 
We're seeing Duke a short road road dog, excuse me, in this game of two points, total of 145. And I'm going to lay the deuce with the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets here. Listen, you know, Duke loses against Louisville on Saturday night, and I do think that that probably sucks a little bit of air out of whatever was in the Duke balloon. I mean, uh, you know, certainly in a weird way ever since Jalen Johnson, I'm not even going to be nice and say opt out ever since he quit. Um, Duke has Duke has kind of uh, found something and, and and started to play better, but I, I think some of that is probably gone now after they lose at home against Louisville in a close game where Matthew Hurt has a crazy game and they still lose. Um, and you know, listen, uh, I think a lot of these Duke kids. I mean. Gosh, Johnson was really the only NBA prospect, correct me if I'm wrong, on the team this year, right? Yeah, I believe so. You know, so I think a lot of these Duke kids, even though this is a game that they really need to have against the fellow bubble team in Georgia Tech, I think there is a little bit of a look ahead here for these Duke kids against North Carolina. You know, I mentioned that Johnson's really been the only NBA prospect on the Duke team this year. So, uh, you know, you're talking about a lot of Duke kids that when they play Carolina, it is you know, probably the best, the biggest basketball games of their basketball careers. Uh, and it's a, it's a revenge spot, obviously, looming for them in Chapel Hill at the end of the week. So I think that probably factors into it. And then I'll be honest, Bill, like, you know, I, this isn't the strongest portion of the handicap for me here. But in a, I mentioned it. In a game that Duke has to win, they are a road dog against Georgia Tech of yeah. two points. Like, that in itself uh, just is talking to me a lot here. Um, and, you know, then when we get into some of the Georgia Tech stuff, they are getting better on defense, the Yellow Jackets. They've allowed under 64 points per game in the four-game winning streak that they're on, and opponents have been held to 44.2% from the field in that four-game winning streak. Both these teams are similar in offensive efficiency, Duke 14th, Georgia Tech 18th, so it really comes down to which team can defend better, and right now the answer is undoubtedly Georgia Tech. I'll take the Yellow Jackets. Give me the Ramble and Wreck, minus the short number. Yeah, I'd be with you on this one. I don't think I'm going to play it. God, I can't stand this team from Durham. The one <laughs> time I decide to back them all year, they do it to me, which I figured, I guess, is just karma. Should have known better there. Um, but your handicap, in my opinion, is pretty spot on. I think I think a big story in this one is going to end up being uh, turnovers. Duke does not do a great job of keeping the ball. Uh, and Georgia Tech does do a good job of turning teams over. So uh, I got a feeling that Georgia Tech's going to win the turnover battle pretty well and should get a W. And what you said, like, this is a must-win game for Duke, and we've seen it all year, right, where uh, Vegas kind of gives a couple extra points to their blue-butt opponents, even though they're down on the year. So you'd think in this game, you know, if you would have saw this line flipped and Duke being favored, like, you wouldn't be shocked by that, right? You'd be right, like, right, all right, right. that kind of makes sense. So, yeah, the fact that they are dogs I, here. For the other side, I'd probably pass. Like, Yeah, agreed, agreed. Yeah. So, yeah, the fact that Georgia Tech is favored in this one would lead me to lean that way again. It's going to be a no play for me. I know we always say we wish each other the best of luck when we're not on a play that you're on, but I truly wish you the best of luck, and I hope they beat them by 50. Um, and I just noticed, they, I heard today, they're cutting down the field of the NIT in half, so well, maybe they won't even get invited to that if they don't make the tournament. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I did hear that as well. So we'll see what happens there with the Blue Devils, but obviously uh, – 
things not looking up after that loss to Louisville. And, uh, you know, I, I suppose on one hand, if they do win, maybe you know, Carolina losing tonight against Cuse, like dare we say that Tobacco Road the last Saturday night of the regular season is for a spot in the tournament and the loser's wow. out. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's one way to hype up that, that game, right? <laughs> Excuse me? That, that could be one way to hype up that game when it comes right. to it. Right. So I'm sure we'll talk about that in our weekend pod, but let's take a break and we'll come back. We got four more plays, including a crossfire at the end of the podcast. Hey everyone, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level, or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month. That's the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the box in check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. And we're back here on Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. My name is Greg Frank. You can find me and all of my gambling tricks on Twitter at undercover Greg. Joined, as always, by uh, Lucha Larry, as always, when it's college basketball, of course. Um, you know him as at Larry's Locks 2 on gambling Twitter. Bill Christie is his name. Bill, it's good to have you aboard, and we're going to keep things moving. Started off in the – you got the first half of the pod going with the Big 12, and we're going to get the second half of the pod rolling with the Big 12 as well. We're seeing the Iowa State Cyclones catching 11 and the hook at home against the Texas Longhorns, total of 142.5 here. And, um, you know, you're going to be on Iowa State, Bill, and I'm sure you got your reasons, but I can just tell you this has definitely been, uh, for as bad as Iowa State has been straight up, they have been covering these big numbers against the marquee opponents in the Big 12, most recently last week against Baylor. Yeah, it has been a profitable system so far this season. And, you know, for me, it was kind of an easy play. One, because of that. Two, because Texas bit us both in the ass last game. Yeah. So, you know, bitter taste in my mouth from the Longhorns. Um, but, yeah, you mentioned it. Iowa State in these spots have done a really nice job all year, as ugly as their overall record is. They are 7-2 and two against the spread against these ranked opponents. And in most of those games, they have been double-digit dogs. Uh, they are – or, I'm sorry, Texas – as road favorites, they're 0-2. Again, not many games they've been favored on the road, you know, because the Big 12 is just so stacked that most of these home teams end up being the favorite team. Um, but 0-2 as an away favorite doesn't bode well. And after a loss, you know, we talk about programs that seem to, you know, get their stuff together after a loss and put together a nice game after it. Texas hasn't been that team. They're only 1-4-1 and uh, against the spread after a loss. And then when you look at we talk about Big 12 and how strong the Big 12 has been all year, and all the Texas has been a good team. They've been overachieving in, in our opinion this year. 
in conference against the spread, they are three ten and one. I mean, that's just pathetic. Woo! You know, and look, nothing against Texas. Look, they're not, these these guys and the coaches, they're not going out there to cover a spread. They're going out there just to win games. Um, Which they've been doing enough of this year. Yeah, so, like, you got to figure that things have just constantly been getting inflated um, on this. And i got a feeling, if you look back at it, I bet you that in a lot of those um, losses against the spread, the public was on Texas. So I don't think it's going to be a drop in inflation here. I don't think you're we're seeing that here. I think it's pretty much par for the course of what it would be all year. Um, so, like, Iowa State in that spot. The other piece of it is, you know, it was a sandwich spot for Texas, right? Like, they just played – Texas Tech and lost. They have a look-ahead spot with Oklahoma coming up on Thursday with a short turnaround after this game tomorrow night. Uh, and they only won by six uh, versus Iowa State. I mean, in tell them they got to take Oklahoma for a third straight game. <laughs> yeah, really, exactly. Jesus. Don't do that. Don't do it to yourself. Um, but, yeah, they only won by six at home against this Iowa, team, Iowa State team last game. And they were favored by roughly the same. They were favored by 12 and a half. They led by 10 at halftime. Um, and they weren't able to put them away in the second half. It wouldn't shock me if I see the same formula occur in this one and Texas gets out early on them and has a lead and you just kind of see it stay around, you know, 8 to 10 points maybe. Um, but, again, Iowa State has just been a monster in this spot. So I have no problem backing them getting the 11 and a half. Yeah, I would certainly lean this way. I think your point about Texas after the losses is well taken. I talked a little bit about this on, uh, actually, you know, for a pro Texas handicap as with them as a short dog. They've just been playing a lot of close games this year, winning or losing. Um, and that's why, obviously, I liked them getting the four or three points that we were taking on Saturday. But obviously, it doesn't surprise me to hear that they've struggled in this role, particularly as big favorites. I believe I was on Iowa State earlier this season when the Cyclones traveled down to Austin to play the Longhorns in uh, Texas. And now, obviously, um, you know, you're talking about a Texas team going on the road here um, against an Iowa State team that at this point is obviously pretty confident that it can at least play with these top teams in the Big 12. We talked about the Cyclones' success against the spread in these spots and and yeah, I mean, I, I just think at a certain point, like the, the Texas ATS conference numbers, like I think that, that uh, we've seen enough to where that is who they are. And you mentioned it, like they don't go out there to cover spread. They're just trying to win the game. And I don't understand why that would change here. Like I, I, I just think we're late enough into the year where, you know, if you're Texas at this point, you're just trying to stay healthy and as you said, Bill, get to that Oklahoma game and, you know, try and make up for your Texas Tech loss on Saturday. So I, it all would kind of line up towards another game in which the Longhorns uh, don't get a lot of margin. So um, I'd certainly lean that way as well. Any final word on this game? No, no. We're going to see Iowa State cover. That's all I know. Now, there you go. Let's move on uh, and go to the Big Ten. Gosh. I'm looking at our list of games here, and we will end at the Big Ten, of course, but we've, we've been going for half an hour here, and uh, here we are finally dipping into the Big Ten, uh, and I'm going to look to a short home favorite, the Purdue Boilermakers, hosting the Wisconsin Badgers. Purdue laying one and a half here, total of 129.5, uh, and I'm going to be on Purdue, given the point and the hook. 
No one's really talking about Purdue here. Like, they're under the fringe of the top 25. They've won three straight and covered all three games. Four out of five straight up they've won. Uh, And the big thing that I really like here is just the matchup. Okay, how does Wisconsin fare against better offensive teams? That remains to be seen. And I, I am by no means putting Purdue in the tier of Michigan, Ohio State, Illinois, and Iowa. But one thing that I talked about, which was giving me a little cause for pause, ultimately still played the Badgers on Saturday against Illinois, was that against those four teams in the Big Ten, going into that game, Wisconsin was 0-5 straight up and against the spread. And now they're 0-6 straight up and against the spread. And obviously those are very well-rounded teams that could score and were better offensively than Wisconsin. And here we have another team that's better offensively than Wisconsin. Not as drastic, but Purdue 24th in the nation in offensive efficiency compared to Wisconsin's 37th in the nation in offensive efficiency. And you're telling me I only have to give a point and a half here to get the better offensive team when, again, the defensive efficiency numbers certainly less drastic. Wisconsin better, uh, seventh in the nation in offensive and defensive efficiency, excuse me, but the Boilermakers can strap down on that end of the floor as well. They're coming in at 14th in defensive efficiency. So you're telling me that I'm getting the better offensive team. I just think that's where the bigger disparity is here between these two teams. Uh, and as I said, motivationally, like, I feel like Purdue's kind of flying under the radar here and, you know, could end up on the 4 5 seed line. And, and maybe if they have a good draw, maybe make some more noise and get to a second weekend again. I mean, um, you know what John Rothstein says, death taxes Matt Painter, and it just seems like year in and year out, uh, the Boilermakers find a way to make themselves relevant even if they don't have the flashiest of rosters. And that's what I think is kind of going on here as well. Um, And I, I mentioned the matchup and Wisconsin maybe not being the best team offensively, and that's where I think Purdue could maybe uh, have the edge here. Well, there's only two scorers in double figures for Wisconsin. One of them is Micah Potter, one of their forwards, who I would highly anticipate gets neutralized by Travion Williams in this game. So then it comes down to, you know, Demetrius Trice, who's their leading scorer. He goes nuts against Illinois, and, and they still lose at home. You know, now they're going on the road. Purdue's 9-1 and one straight up at home this year. Uh, Wisconsin, just about a 500 team on the road at 5-4. and four straight up on the road and against the spread. So uh, I definitely like the Boilermakers here. I'll lay the short number. Uh, I'm curious, though, because I know you said you were leaning Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, I was slightly leaning that way because of how well they've played after a loss. But what I I was trying to dive back into it here while, while you were speaking, and there's been a pretty common theme in almost all their losses, and that's when they're going against a decent big guy, right? Like, we talk about Michigan and, and how good Dickinson has been. They, they lost both games to Michigan. Uh, they lost to Iowa uh, in the one meeting they've had so far. With Obviously, we don't need to talk about it. They're a big guy. Right. They lost to Illinois both games. Um, and I think the last game, you know. Well, and I mentioned their struggles against all of those teams, and I know that Ohio State obviously has Kyle Young and E.J. Liddell in the front court. Right. So, and and I think the most telling piece was Illinois last game because, you know, they were without uh, Desumu and <laughs> Cockburn just looked like a uh, uh, what he is. He's a monster, boys, yeah. right? Um, right? And Travion Williams is, you know, again, we just mentioned Cockburn, and you have Garza, and you have Dickinson. You have some unbelievable big men in this conference, and Travion Williams is. is I was going to hit you right conference. there. 
Yeah, in any other conference, I mean, he is arguably He's the top a player of the year candidate. Yeah, a lot. So, I mean, I don't see anybody on Wisconsin really being able to bang with them, specifically after Saturday getting beat up inside so bad like they did. Um, yeah. And not only not only uh, Williams, but they also have the what the seven foot four guy. Oh, uh, Zach Eady. Yeah, Zach Eady, the freshman. Right. So. Yeah, look, he's not a phenomenal player, young guy, but um, you know, if if these guys are really that beat up inside and 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 yeah, Trayvon Williams Purdue needs a little bit more, yeah, I, I could see them, you know, just working them on the on the paint and on the offensive class, and you know, you said Wisconsin really doesn't seem to have the scores to keep it close. So initially, I was leaning Wisconsin. Now you got me leaning a bit poor towards Purdue, so we'll see after I sleep on it tonight where I end up on it tomorrow. <laughs> see what side of the bed you wake up on for sure. Let's go to the, uh, what's this, the WAC or the West Coast Conference? Fresno and Boise, you tell me. It's your point. I don't even know. I think they're the Mountain West, aren't they? Mountain West, that's right. That's there right. There we go. Uh, the Fresno State, they're the Bulldogs, right? I'm fairly yes. Certain that. Yes. Bulldogs of Fresno State. Traveling up to the Pacific Northwest, well, maybe not Pacific, but the Northwest part of the country, as the Boise State Broncos are nearly a two-touchdown favorite here, laying 13 and the hook, total of 135. Bill, I am going to be honest, Fresno State and Boise State did not cross my radar when it came to Tuesday's rotation, so I am going to just shut up and hear what you have to say. Well, you're, you're, you're on Boise State, though. <laughs> I am on Boise State. You mentioned two touchdown favorites. So, I mean, what, what else do you want to know? Boise State, two touchdown favorite at home. Blue, blue turf. <laughs> Is it a blue court? I don't know. Right. I haven't seen them play that much this year. Um, but uh, look, I feel like I've been on Boise State a decent amount this year for some reason. Um, and, and when I'm looking back at this one, they played back on January 20th. Um, same sort of spot here. 14 and a half point was a line. Boise State blew them out by 22. Um, Boise State, though, coming off a loss. They are 4-1 and one coming off a loss. Fresno State, on the opposite side, they're 3-6 and six off a loss. Both of these teams are coming off losses. Boise is a home favorite. They're 6-3-1 and one on the season. Fresno, as an away dog, only 2-5. and five. And when you look at the uh, statistics, the efficiency stats here, I mean, Boise up and down the columns here. It's, it's not even close. Uh, Fresno State 222nd offensively, Boise is 48th. Uh, other way around, Boise is 61st offensively, Fresno 186 defensively. And when you dive into the the main factors, it's just it, it's not even close as far as turnover percentage, effective field goal percentage. Um, Boise just has them all across the board. I don't think this is going to be a game. I really think Boise is going to blow them out again. Uh, not going to be close. Uh, there's not really much to the handicap besides those factors. Um, you know, 14 seems a little bit of like a steep line, but like I said, they were able to handle them by 22 in their last meeting, um, and it seems like they, they're one of these programs that button it up after a loss. They're only, you know, like I said, they're 4-1 after a loss. Their only loss, though, against the spread after a loss uh, was their last game where they had a back-to-back um, and I'm blanking on who they who they lost to in their last meeting, um, but they lost back to back games there. Fresno State is not a team that's going to be beating them, so I don't have that to worry about. Boise State and Boise State big in this one. Yeah, not a whole lot, obviously, for me here, as I mentioned. But gosh, you know, Bill, just as I look at these conference standings, this is going to be one of the better mid major conference tournaments uh, in the country because yeah. I'm looking. Obviously, San Diego State has established itself as 
one of the better mid-majors in the country, and they're atop this league again, 13-3 in Mountain West play, 19-4 overall. They've won 10 in a row. Colorado State is right there, though, which um, surprises me a little. Uh, although every now and again, I feel like Colorado State pops up in the bracket on a do- as a double-digit seed auto bid out of this league. league. Utah State, unfortunately, um, or was it was it two years ago? I can't even remember now. Did Merrill hit? Was it last year that he hit the shot? I'm not sure. Against, it wasn't last year, right? Did they get been... to, I, I thought maybe they got that conference tournament completed. But oh, you, might right. you might be right. But nonetheless, that was a great game against San Diego State, and Utah State wins at the buzzer, basically. Utah State's right there in this league, and, and so is Boise. So uh, I, I think from that end, like, you really do have, like, a tier. I mean, Nevada looks like they're having a decent season, but they're not in that tier of the four teams I mentioned. So mm-hmm. um, I talk sometimes a lot, particularly in mid-major conferences, I, I think the variance between the top to the bottom to, you know, even the middle can be wider than the books can hang numbers for to keep up. So um, I'd probably lean this way. But, uh, again, I'm looking forward to – I'll probably watch – this will be a good uh, late-night, you know, yes. watch next week week when we get to the rest of the conference tournament. So, Absolutely. Um, you know, because I guess a lot of the mid-majors, some of the mid-major has, mid-majors have their conference tournaments this week, right? Like, Yeah. Yeah, yeah some right. of them are diving into it now, yep. Right. So, certainly curious to see how things play out in the Mountain West. But let's wrap things up here on this edition of Full Slate with the marquee game of the season. Uh, well, certainly of Tuesday night, maybe of the season, too, uh, as we have the Illinois Fighting Illini traveling to Ann Arbor to take on the Michigan Wolverines, and we're seeing Illinois catching eight on the road against Michigan. Total in this game of, excuse me, 145.5. And, and we're going to have a crossfire here to wrap things up, and I'm going to be on Illinois, and I, I definitely worry sometimes. Anytime you see lines these big with teams this close, I worry about the dog being square. Um, so it, it, I, I will begin by saying that. But... You know, I, I've done this before, and I'll do it again here to start my pro Illinois handicap. Eight and a half point line on Saturday for Michigan going to Indiana. You know, now you're talking about an eight point line for Illinois going to Michigan. Like, I just think you're paying a premium right now to back Michigan, and maybe you're going to pony up and pay it. Well, you are, and maybe you're going to uh, continue to cash, but. It's just not adding up for this. So we flip home courts in Michigan games. They're on the road against Indiana. Now they're home, and the line's basically the same. Like, and you're telling me that Illinois is only like a point, two points better than an Indiana team that, you know, might not make the tournament. Like, that is just the definition of paying a premium, which I cannot get behind. I talked about it on Saturday or Friday night into Saturday as well. I maintain to think that Michigan, they may be the best team in the country, and right now I think they are, but. At a certain point in the Big Ten, whether it's this game or uh, I don't even know off the top of my head, who do they play in their regular season finale? Do you know, Bill? They got back-to-backs with uh, Michigan State. Okay, so maybe Michigan State in a rivalry game or a Big Ten tournament. I mentioned this, though. Some, somewhere along the line, I do think this Michigan team is going to face some adversity um, and have to respond a little because I refuse to believe that the rest of the conference is just leaps and bounds by behind them. They may be better than everyone else, but better enough to continue to cover numbers is a different story. Also, I don't love this scheduling spot for Michigan, too. I mean, yes, they did just have the road game against Indiana, but uh, you're talking about playing the other three teams in the kind of the fantastic four, the Big Ten here. 
in a span of a week and a half, having gone to Ohio State last Sunday, last Thursday going to Iowa, and now on a Tuesday hosting Illinois. Like Again, I, I, I am leery of the fact that the Wolverines are going to keep winning and covering these games, particularly against teams that I just don't think are that far off behind them. I mean, again, Michigan is the best team in the country right now, but is the margin eight points against Illinois? It's a tough sell for me there. Illinois was in control most of the way in a look-ahead spot, by the way. How often do we talk about that as mm-hmm. look-ahead spots and teams that, you know, maybe don't get up for the game. And when, then when they do win the game, in my opinion, I always look at that as a bet on. So they're in control of that game against Wisconsin really the entire way until Demetrius Christ just gets red hot down the stretch and makes it very interesting. Illinois has only lost by eight more than eight twice this year, and one of those games was against Baylor, and I know, obviously, Michigan is is right there on Baylor's level, probably better right now. But again, and then when you look at the season metrics, Michigan fifth in offensive efficiency um, and uh, fourth in defensive efficiency, Illinois tenth in offensive efficiency and 16th in defensive efficiency. Again, it just doesn't feel like this line adds up to anything other than it's inflated because of the public perception of what we're seeing on a nightly basis with Michigan. Again, I may keep getting beat up here fading Michigan, but uh, again, I maintain my belief that somewhere here, whether it's today or Michigan State or the Big Ten Tournament, they're going to face a little adversity and maybe still win a game, but not cover. they're not going to keep covering numbers in the Big Ten. So, uh, I am going to be on the Illinois Fighting Illini, and I'll let you speak to why you're on Big Blue here. All right. So you mentioned it. The best team in the country, right? We talked about it last pod. For this sure. is the best team in the country. And I feel like you said you keep, like, fading this Michigan team. You're just waiting for them to slip up, and they're not slipping up. I don't think they slip up here at all. And you mentioned adversity. This is this Illinois team is the team that's going to be dealing with adversity here. Uh, DeSumo I don't think is going to play. You know, and I think that – is pretty indicative of why the line is so high. Um, and you can make the argument, yeah, they played last game without him. Fair. But they played a Wisconsin team that we just talked about, how they haven't been able to step up against teams that are, have a better offensive output, and they have not been able to bang inside with big guys. Michigan can, right? I mean, oh, we saw but see, I, I, we just, you just finished talking about Cockburn and the big game he had. Yeah, against nobody. I'm just saying, like, you think that he's going to completely fold now against Dickinson? Like, I don't know if I buy that. Well, I mean, what did he do? What did he do against Garza? Well, and if I, you're going to sit there, you can't tell me that you think Cockburn is a better big man than Garza. I I don't, but okay. <laughs> I'll let you I'll let you talk. But I, I think a little bit of regression coming for the Wolverines, regardless. But go ahead. Okay, so again, like I said, I think Dickinson's going to be able to handle him, hold him in check. The bigger thing is that they didn't miss the Sumo last game because they were able to get the ball inside and dominate the post and dominate the offensive rebounds. Um, and they're not going to be able to do that in this game. And when you look at what they did, didn't do well against Wisconsin was they didn't win the turnover battle at all. They, they lost 20-8 to eight in terms of the turnover battle. This team in Michigan is... You're not going to have that huge advantage on the glass, that huge advantage on the inside. You're still going to have the adversity of being able to handle the ball. Now, Michigan doesn't turn turn teams over that often, but when you look at Illinois, their turnover percentage throughout the course of the season, they're 156 in the country. 
turn the ball over almost 19 times a game. Now you have it without the sumo in there. That's only going to inflate more. So again, against a team like Wisconsin, you can kind of get away with not turn with, with turning the ball over a little bit because they're not going to score that much on the other side. Michigan, you turn the ball over, forget it. They're going to put you away because they're going to score at will on the offensive end. There's nothing, in my opinion, that Illinois has an advantage over Michigan in this game. I mean, you can correct me if you think I'm wrong. Uh, and I think the only thing that I would argue or have an okay argument with would be the fact that Illinois does shoot the ball from deep pretty well. They shoot over 30 I was going to say, that left-handed shooter, Frazier, can knock knock the shots down. And I like Curbelo, too. I, I think he's yeah. a, a seasoned veteran back there. So Yeah, he's look, he's only a freshman. And, and by the time his he career is like over. He's a veteran, my mistake. Yeah, yeah. When, he, when, he, when his career is over, he's without a doubt he's going to be an all-conference player if not an All-American candidate at some point. But that 38%, you're, you're now, again, you're taking out the sumo, he, who's shooting 40% from deep this season. He's a big part of that. And the fact that they don't have him in this game against Michigan, arguably the top team in the country, again, Wisconsin's a different ball game. And I really think that people are going to be looking at that being like, oh, well, Illinois handled them. They don't really miss the sumo that much. Well, against this Michigan team, <laughs> they're going to be really, really uh, – in a disadvantage without him here. Home favorites, Michigan 9-3 and on the season. Against ranked opponents, Illinois on the season only 4-3. and Michigan on the other hand, 6-1. and uh, I talked about the rebounding advantages. Uh, when you try and compare the, the Wisconsin games, uh, Michigan also out-rebounded Wisconsin 42-34 to in comparison to 43-30, to which uh, Illinois did last game. Um Again, I think Dickinson's going to be able to play well, well enough to handle Cockburn inside. Um, Michigan only has Michigan State back-to-back coming up, both unranked, obviously. Illinois is the last ranked opponent. Um, look, you, you can't really make the case to, to put Michigan number one right now because Gonzaga hasn't done anything wrong, right? They're undefeated. Uh, right. But you got to think that at this point in the season, with how well Michigan's been playing, how well the conference is. I mean, we're talking. About I was going to say, do you think that Michigan still maybe gets the number one overall seed? I don't look at. I think they should. I think, in my opinion, I think it's a no-brainer because when you look at the body of work of what that Big Ten is and the teams they're playing, you know, night in night out. If you look at the strength of schedule, I'm sure it's not even comparable. Um, it's hard to take it away from a team that's undefeated and who has some good early wins in the season in Gonzaga. But, I mean, if you're asking me right now who I think, if I have to put money on one of these teams to win the national title, I mean, I'm I'm a thousand percent back in Michigan in that case over Gonzaga. Gonzaga, I just, again, I don't, I don't think they, I don't think they make the final four, to be honest, depending on what matchups are. I, I don't think they have it in them to make this run. Um, there's too much of downtime throughout the season. And again, they haven't really had any opponents that pushed them too much. So, um, I don't want to get too much into Gonzaga here, but that's the reason I'm going to be on Michigan here. I like Michigan. I like Michigan big. Um, I don't think it's going to be close. I think they're going to smack Illinois, to be honest. So I guess just to put a button on the whole conversation here about Michigan, do do you think that there's going to be that kind of rubber meets the road type of game that I'm yeah. expecting, or and it's just yeah. not going to come here, or are they going to yeah. run the Big Ten tournament too? No, nah, I don't. I don't foresee them making making the run all the way through the Big Ten tournament. 
for the mere fact that I think they're going to have that target on their back, right? Like, he, they really haven't – granted, they're ranked number two in the country, right? You'd think, oh, that's the target on their back. Yeah, but Illinois is not a team that, like, needs to get that win, right? Like, again, they're, right, they don't have right, to assume right. if they have him. Well, and that was part of why I thought maybe Indiana would cover against – Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Right. But I do think – um, I, I do think they're going to find that game come the Big Ten tournament. They're going to run into a team because, again, there's just so many good teams in this Big Ten. They're going to run into a team that's just hot during that tournament, and they're probably going to take a loss to them. If they win it, will I be shocked? No. But uh, I right. think if they're going to have that game, I think it's going to come uh, in the Big Ten tournament. There he is. You know him as Lucha Larry on Gambling Twitter, at Larry's Locks 2 to shoot him a follow and be, hop onto his subscription service. My name is Greg Frank. Follow me for all of my picks at Undercover Greg. Of course, shoot the podcast a follow as well at full underscore slate underscore pod, our podcast producer and jack of all trades, Alex Uplinger, managing that account. Bill, always fun. Enjoy your week. And I imagine we will reconnect at the end of the week. Yes, sir. Hey, if you guys get a chance, check out my website, LarrysLocks.com. I'm planning on putting a lot of previews for the upcoming conference tournaments, some free plays, and what have you. So please check me out on there as well. There he is, Bill Christie at Larry's Locks 2 on Gambling Twitter. My name is Greg Frank. Again, follow me at Undercover Greg and shoot the podcast to follow at full underscore slate underscore pod. This has been Full Slate. A Blue Wire Gambling Podcast. Everyone, enjoy your Tuesdays. Enjoy a busy second day of March in college basketball. And, of course, please play responsibly. Hey, guys, it's Mike. As you know, I adopted my pup, Rocky, from a local rescue. When people asked me what kind of dog Rocky was, I was always stumped. I used an Embark Dog DNA test to decode my most puzzling questions about Rocky. You can also learn about your dog's inner secrets with Embark, the highest-rated dog DNA test. Unlock over 350 breeds and screen for over 200 genetic health risks. Save $50 on a breed and health kit with promo code KIT at EmbarkVet.com. Again, that's promo code KIT.